Amen. Foolish is the person who sets out on a journey and does not consider where it will end. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Should you then really trust your guts or your feelings or others have gone before you when it comes to such important matters as life or death? Christ says he's the only way and we can only come to him through the narrow gate. Other religions say they are the way. Both can't be true. So before we come to the end of this life, we must all decide which is true. It does matter which road you choose. I heard that someone put up a sign along one of the muddy roads in rural Iowa during the rainy season. And the sign read, choose your ruts carefully, you'll be in them for the next 10 uh, miles. Choose your path carefully. How do you go about choosing the right way when you're at that proverbial fork in the road? I believe it was Yogi Berra who said, when you're in, you're in a fork in the road, take it. That's not very helpful advice. See, all roads lead somewhere. Do you know where the road you're on is taking you? Perhaps you can relate to Columbus who, as they say, didn't know where he was going when he left, didn't know where he was when he got there, and didn't know where he had been when he got back. Do you know where you're going? Reminded of the story told of Albert Einstein, the great physicist. Einstein was once traveling from Princeton uh, on a train when the conductor came by and down the aisle to punch the tickets of every single passenger. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached in his vest pocket and he couldn't find his ticket. So he reached in his trouser pocket and he couldn't find his ticket. It wasn't there. So he looked in his briefcase, but he couldn't find his ticket. Then he looked in the seat beside him. He still couldn't find it. Well, the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. And Einstein nodded appreciatively. The conductor continued down the aisle punching tickets, and as he was ready to move to the next car, he turned around and he saw the great physicist down on his hands and knees looking under his seat for his ticket. And so the conductor rushed back and he said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, I know who you are. Don't worry. No problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. I know who you are. And Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. <laughs> he needed that ticket. <laughs> Do you know where you're going? Do you know where you're going? Do you know where your path is taking you? As we come to the all-familiar story of the resurrection that Sunday morning, I want to take you to the day before, Saturday. Now, you might say, no, wait a minute, Pastor, Saturday? We know about Good Friday, and we know about what we call Resurrection Sunday, but there's not a whole lot said about Saturday. I think all too often that we who live on the other side of the resurrection forget how hard it must have been for the disciples on Saturday. 
I would invite you to put yourself in the shoes of Jesus' followers during the time after the cross, Friday, and before the empty tomb, Sunday. It was a dark Saturday. Feelings of guilt likely were living inside many of Jesus' disciples. And, and like any time we lose a loved one, there's sadness mixed with regret and this confusion alongside of anger. And there's a presence of a dark cloud following you wherever you go. Their loved one was dead. Their hopes were smashed. They were drowning in sorrow. And I'm sure none of them could sleep. The flashbacks of the crucifixion must have kept them up at night. Oh, if we could have seen the reaction of the women who stood at the cross witnessing the death of the one they adored and the one in whom they believed their salvation rested, we might then appreciate what they might have got, must have gone through in the interim between Good Friday and the glorious Sunday. Oh, if, if we had bumped into Peter between the time of his monumental failure just hours before Jesus' death and the resurrection on that Sunday, I think we would get some hint of what it must have been like living in Saturday. And many today are living in Saturday. Ray Steadman had this to say. He said, someone has called our present generation Saturday's children. And it's an apt term. In the midst of an increasingly godless world, despair grips people's hearts everywhere. Hopelessness and meaninglessness comes crashing in on us from every side. All four Gospels record that Jesus died and that he was truly dead. That he died on Friday afternoon and he was placed in a tomb on Friday afternoon. And that tomb was sealed with a stone, a very large stone. They all record that on Sunday morning he rose from the dead. The tomb was empty. He was in the grave on Friday. He was in the grave on Saturday. He likely was in the grave for about 12 hours on Sunday. That covers three days in the grave. And any part of a day constitutes a fulfillment of that. And where are Saturday's children? The Gospels show the disciples cringing in a locked room terrified that the same thing that happened to Jesus might happen to them. So frightened that they didn't even attend Jesus' burial, they left it to three women to care for his body. And these devoted women waited until Sunday morning to finish the embalming process. And that's where I want to pick it up as we look at Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, if you want to grab a pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 722, 722. In eight verses, Mark's gospel sums up what took place on that Sunday. Mark chapter 16, and as we step into this incredible experience, we're going to see evidence of the resurrection along three lines. The testimony from earth, the testimony from heaven, and the testimony of the eyewitnesses. And those three testimonies, those three lines of testimony is enough for us to be certain of what in fact happens. 
We don't have to wonder or say it's outdated. We don't have to say no, but many others have chosen a different path. We can say that is enough for me to believe in a risen Savior. Jesus said he would rise, and all Mark does here is to show that he did. And he give evidence. And so we begin with a testimony from earth. First of all, the testimony from earth, the empty tomb. So look with me at Mark 16, beginning with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, which, by the way, ended at 6 p.m. on Saturday. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they may go to anoint Jesus' body. Now, these women in anguish over the loss of their loved one and the one in whom they had pinned all of their hopes hadn't lost their love and devotion. Do you see that? Saturday must have been a long day as they waited for the Sabbath to end so that they could make their way to the tomb. And they must have wondered, how can this be that Jesus is God? How could this evil have happened? Life lived in Saturday breeds despair and hopelessness and anguish and sheer darkness. Sorrow wakes early, as the saying goes. And so very early on the first day of the week, it says in verse 2, just after sunrise, they are on their way to the tomb. And in an act of love, the women head to the tomb for the purpose of anointing Jesus' body with spices to lessen the stench. Their biggest concern was who was going to move this massive stone from the entrance to the tomb. And it's likely this stone weighed around one and a half to two tons. And that stone would sit in a trench that sloped down into the entrance to the tomb. And so they asked each other, verse 3 says, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Do you see it? They didn't come expecting a resurrection. They came expecting to anoint a dead body. The furthest thing from their minds was an empty tomb. They could not understand this. And verse 4 says, But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Who moved the stone? Well, of course the disciples did, right? So they could steal the body, right? I mean, these timid disciples somehow tiptoed past some guards because other gospel writers speak of soldiers guarding the tomb. And I ask you, is there anybody else in history who needed to be guarded to keep them in the tomb? And so these disciples get past the guards... They move this massive stone. They take off the strips of linen that were around Jesus. They take the time to fold up the cloth that was around Jesus' head. And they pick up Jesus' body. And they carry Jesus' body out past the guards again. Who would buy that story? Well, actually, Matthew 28 tells us that many believe that story. The authorities and the naysayers and those who were threatened by all of this had a problem on their hands. The tomb is empty. A resurrection has taken place, and so they come up with a plan to discredit this. 
And the story that was circulated in that day, and every once in a while it still shows its face, continues today, is that the disciples came during the night and they stole the body while the guards were asleep. Many would rather believe that than what actually happens. I mean, isn't that amazing? How deep is unbelief? I mean, doesn't the story sound a bit fishy? Shouldn't it? Shouts of fabrication cause uh, some suspicion? Mrs. Jones was reading a letter at breakfast, and suddenly she looked up suspiciously at her husband, and she said, Henry, I've just received a letter from Mother saying she isn't accepting our invitation to come and stay with us over Easter as we do not appear to want her. What does she mean by that? I told you to write and say that that she was to come at her own convenience. You, You did write, didn't you? Oh, yes, I did, said the husband, but I couldn't spell convenience, so I, sa- I made it risk. <laughs> Come at your own risk. <laughs> well, well, the authorities couldn't come up and say resurrection. They couldn't spell that word. They knew what it would have meant. They didn't want to deal with a resurrected Christ. So instead, they changed it to stolen. They would not admit the truth even though it was staring them in the face. The guards knew the tomb was empty. The the Sanhedrin knew the tomb was empty. I mean, no one ever pointed to an occupied tomb. That would have ended everything if they did. The first line of testimony is from earth to prove the resurrection. I want to move to the second line of testimony, the testimony from heaven. The testimony from it. Who moved the stone? You know the answer. God moved the stone. Not to let Jesus out, but to let these women in. And what did the women discover as they entered the tomb? It was empty. Verse 5, Mark 16, states as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white. It's an angel. And actually we're told elsewhere that there are two angels. And the women's response, verse 5 says, is that they were alarmed. Now the word alarmed means strong fear. In other words, they were terrified. Not in the sense that they feared for their lives, but that something just can't be explained rationally. Terrified in the sense that they could not wrap their minds around it. They could not. And verse 6, I want us to see this. The angel says, now remember, this is, this is a familiar story for us. And our brain goes, seeing this, don't need to pay attention to this. Yes, we do. Verse 6 says, don't be alarmed. He said, you were looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. The angel says, he is risen. Now, folks, that is one word in the original. Oh, the power of one word. With one word, God could wipe out a nation. With one word, God could take us home. With one word, he could yell, enough! And we'd all be raptured. That'd be nice if it happened right now. I wouldn't have to continue. We could all go home. (laughs) Side note. With one word, God announces the greatest miracle in all of history, a gyro. He has risen. 
with one word, lives are dramatically changed. With one word, the disciples will never be the same again. With one word, they move from Saturday's children to Sunday's children. One word, Agairo. He has risen. It's that one word that changes us, our outlook, our perspective, our motivation, our focus. That one word gives our lives meaning. Folks, live in Sunday because he is risen. What's your day? Saturday? Sunday? Are you living in the, in the Saturday of doubts and questions and despair? Or are you living in the Sunday of certainty, victory, and discovery? A former professor of a prestigious college wrote, he said, there's no reason to suppose that a man's life has any more meaning than the life of the humblest insect that crawls from one annihilation to another. Now, those are words of one living in Saturday. Hopelessness. Is that where you're at? Are we living as though God's dead? The Christian, great Christian reformer Martin Luther once spent three days in dark depression over something that had gone wrong around him in his life. On the third day, his wife watching this for the last three days, she came, dressed, came downstairs dressed in dark morning clothes that she'd wear to a funeral. Well, who's dead? He asked his wife. God is, she replied. And Luther rebuked her, saying, What do you mean God is dead? God is not dead. Well, she replied, The way you've been acting lately, I was sure he had. We live in as though God is dead. People were to observe us when they say, I think must, God must be dead. I'm not seeing any life in you. I'm not seeing any joy in you. I'm not seeing any change in you. He must be dead. Christ is alive. Why would we ever choose to live in Saturday? He's risen indeed. The testimony from earth, the empty tomb, the testimony from heaven, the angels. There's a third line of evidence to prove the resurrection. The testimony of the eyewitnesses. The testimony of the eyewitnesses. About uh, 10 years ago, during a homicide trial in Nassau County in the state of New York, the prosecution was examining their witness on the stand. In his testimony, the witness stated that he saw the victim lying on the ground, obviously dead. Well, when the prosecution had finished, the defense lawyer rose to his feet, intent on undermining the credibility of the witness, and he conducted the following cross-examination using his skills. He says to the witness, Sir, are you a doctor? No, replied the witness. Well, are you a paramedic? No, I'm not, the witness stated. Have you ever gone to medical school? Never was the answer. Then tell me, sir, how do you know that the victim was indeed dead? Well, responded the witness, I went to his funeral. <laughs> Good answer. I mean, it's hard to beat the value of eyewitnesses. We believe lots of things throughout life on the basis of eyewitnesses, don't we? When I turn on the news and I hear of something that happened on the other side of the state or the country or the world, it's based on eyewitnesses. 
I wasn't there when the tornado touched ground or, or the shooter opened fire or the latest score of my favorite sports team. It is the testimony of eyewitnesses. Hardly would anyone would, would say, I don't believe in Napoleon. I don't believe in Washington or Truman unless I see him. Eyewitnesses were present and we believe them. Eyewitnesses. So in 7 and 8 of Mark 16, we have the testimony of the women who saw the empty tomb. And as you well know, choosing women to be the first witnesses in that culture was God's way of turning everything upside down. Let's put this one on his head. God did that all the time. He still does that, by the way. It was God's way of elevating womanhood against the backdrop of culture's mistreatment and demeaning of women. And verse 7 says... The angel says, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, do you catch the angel's words there? Verse 7. The angels give a command to these women. In verse 7, the angel instructs them to go and tell Jesus' disciples the news. But the angel adds, and I love this. My eyes have gone over this before. The angel adds, tell the disciples the news and Peter. Now, do you suppose that Peter is thrown in because he needed a little personal touch of love and grace after his major blunder prior to the crucifixion? Do you suppose? I mean, his denials were pretty ugly. Not one of Peter's finer moments. So they say, notify the disciples, make sure you tell Peter. And the women fled from the empty tomb, trembling and bewildered. They pass on the news to the disciples. And it takes them several hours and really days for these men to get it. The women get it a lot faster within minutes. For the men, not so fast. For what it's worth. But the women are so stunned. It's coming back at you here. Watch it. But the women are so stunned by what they saw, they said nothing to anyone else. Now, here's the proof of how stunned they were. They said nothing to anyone. Now, I'm not sure how far I want to go with that and not have to duck. A miracle? I went too far. I went too far. Come back, I'm reeling you back. Now, other Gospels inform us that their fear was combined with great joy. It turned to great joy. And what we witness with these women and see in the disciples is a movement from living in Saturday to living in Sunday. The resurrection changes everything. Everything, thank you, brother, because that is the main point right here. we got to get that one. Everything is implicated in Jesus' resurrection. We don't live in Saturday. We live in Sunday. We don't need to live in Saturday's fear, but in Sunday's hope. We don't have to live in Saturday's confusion, but in Sunday's certainty. We don't have to live in in Saturday's lifelessness, but in Sunday's power. We don't have to live in Saturday's sense of finality, but in Sunday's truth that anything can be reversed. 
We don't have to live in joylessness and, and darkness and worry and guilt and regret and despair, but rather in knowing that my life has the possibility of changing. That things have the possibility of being different. And how I think, how I treat people, how I live each day is to be lived in Sunday rather than in Saturday. And if God does not affect what you do, where you go, how you spend your money, or the choices you make every single day, then your God is not very helpful. You're living your days in Saturday rather than Sunday. And if things ended in Saturday for these disciples, then they should not have risked anything at all. They should only be pitied, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. If there's no resurrection, no Sunday, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, you know what you're supposed to do? Eat, drink, and be merry. You might as well. In other words, live it up. Why come here today if there's no resurrection? You should be out partying and squeezing everything out of this life that you can. But if, since Jesus did rise from the dead, then that changes everything. And folks, every single Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. (laughs) Every single day is. There should not be this, this letdown with getting up tomorrow. No letdown as we come to next Sunday because the resurrection changes everything. Which day you're living in. So when you're allowed to feed, to rob you of joy, you're Saturday's child. You don't have to live in Saturday. Live in Sunday. Live in victory. Live in the power of the resurrected Christ every single day. Because resurrection Sunday changed everything. Now, I have this birdcage here. And you might wonder why a birdcage? That's not the norm for, uh, to be part of an Easter service. Well, Go- Dr. Gordon tells this story. He says, several days ago, I was noticing a little boy in tattered and torn blue jeans and dirty T-shirt, cap off to the side, whistling, walking down an aisle, walking down the aisle alley, swinging a birdcage. Clinging to the bottom of the cage were little field sparrows that he had caught. So Dr. Gordon says, I stopped this little boy and I asked, say, son, what do you have there? And the little boy answered, oh, I've got some birds. And what are you going to do with those birds, I asked. Oh, kind of mess around with them, tease them, something like that. And the little boy continued. And I have a couple of cats at home, and they like birds. I think I'm just going to go let them have them. Dr. Gordon said his heart went out to the little birds, so he made the little guy an offer. He said, how much do you want for the birds? Well, surprised, the boy said, mister, these birds ain't no good. Well, regardless, how much would you like for the birds, Dr. Gordon said. I don't know, how about 20 bucks? Sold. And Dr. Gordon reached in his pocket, he pulled out a 20 and he gave it to the boy. And and the boy just kind of uh, was pleased that he just had this good fortune, this stroke of good fortune. He pushed the birdcage into Dr. Gordon's arms and Dr. Gordon walked off. When the boy left, Dr. Gordon walked a few distance away from where everything was and he walked over and he opened up the cage. He said, shoo, shoo. And he nudged the birds and off they went out into freedom. Do you see the picture? 
That's the picture of Sunday's children. There is Sunday. Jesus Christ not only paid the price for our freedom, he set us free. Why are we clinging to the bottom of the cage? Why are we saying, no, I'd rather be locked in? Why are we saying, I'll choose the path of death rather than the path of life? Why stay in the cage? Why stay locked up? Jesus Christ nudges us out of the cage to freedom. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Are you living in freedom? Are you living in Sunday every single day? Are you? Am I? Saturday with all its hopelessness and pessimism, is that your day? Is that where you want to live? Confusion, doubt, regret, as if your sins aren't forgiven. Is that the one you want to choose? Or Sunday with its bounding life and uncontainable joy, abundant life, we can live there. And folks, so I look at those two choices. That's a no-brainer. A no-brainer. Life. I'm going to have the praise team come up. I want to close in prayer. They're going to lead us in two more songs of celebration because we live in Sunday. The resurrection changes everything. 